up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Everybody Eats. My name is Kumba. And I'm Eddie. And today we'll be serving you a hot popping cake. A whoop ass! No. What? No, that's not all we're doing. What do you mean? No. We're not doing this this Did week? You read the script? I mean, I made the script. No, no, we. I, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Come on. We, we made, made this script. script. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry, but so. Respect, Fumba, Fumba. respect my gangster. What? You know, I mean, like, you, you, all all the respect that you you gains. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you said that, man. I always respect my Sure, man. Like if that's where you want to be, I'm gonna help you follow your dreams. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know I'm saying. I mean, yeah, thank you for that. I <laughs> love your support. All right. <laughs> All right, homie. What are we serving today? Oh, I'm so glad you asked, homie. Because today we'll be focusing on the comedy within film. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a huge fan of comedy, and I'm I'm not talking about like as a genre or those shitty office jokes you tell your boss. Like that? No, I was saying, I was saying it over. Yeah, yeah okay. sorry. Uh, you're that guy. You had to be there. You had to be there. <laughs> Uh, what I mean is the art of stand-up comedy. Right. It's an art form that has come under heavy scrutiny over the last several years. And it's to the point now where we should almost expect to be punched in the face when talking about a hairstyle. Ooh, alopecia. Yeah. We're bringing that up. Yeah. You know, you, know, you got it. Right. You know, starting off right with it. I this guess, is I the... guess some people are a bit tender-headed. See, these are the stories that everybody needs to know about. These are the life-threatening things that people ultimately need in order to survive on a daily basis. He said sarcastically. Imagine if like Will Smith just like comes in the door. Fucking (laughs) fucking We don't even have an audience yet. (laughs) Will Smith just like knows these things. He's just laser focused in. (laughs) Here's the audio. It's like, yo, these motherfuckers (laughs) shuts us down. He's got stuff the NSA doesn't have. Okay, he's Will Smith. He's gonna hunt us down. He's got some people. He's got he's got the people. He's got the people. people. (laughs) What I love about stand-up comedy is that the fact that you're able to. Put yourself into an empathetic state and see something from a different perspective that you might not have before. Right. So ultimately, what is empathy? Right. So empathy to me is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another person. I'm not saying that it's a job for a comedian to get the audience to empathize with them. Yeah. In actuality, it should be the opposite. Right. It's the job of a comedian to use their jokes as a way to showcase their perspective. And it's on us as audience members to understand that perspective by using our ability to empathize. Mm. So, question. Okay. Exactly what does this have to do within the scope of film? <laughs> I, I guess that's a fair question. I mean, yeah. Right. So, hear me out. Right. A film is a form of media that often works to imitate life. Right. Comedy is tragedy, but with better timing. Fascinating. Mm. Right. So, we as human beings often mask, or rather compensate for our misfortunes with humor. It's right. like you'll read on Twitter, like, I'm depressed. Hello. Oh, oh, you know? Like, that person was depressed from the... <laughs> Sorry, guys. They're reaching out, yeah. and you just shame them. That was funny. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we do it all the time. Like When it comes to art imitating life and vice versa, nothing grabs a nuance of humor more than the comedy drama genre. Hmm. And I think a well-done dramedy works best when it's able to sustain a consistent level of well-timed jokes with an underlining dramatic backdrop that permeates through the film. Hmm. And there are... I'm so sorry. Satire has to be one of my favorite subgenres of comedy because it deals with very real and very painful problems of today's world. More often than not, satire does what comedy does best, which is to punch up to society, to hypocrisy, to pow- to the powerful. 
excellent examples of, of uh, satire would include Jojo Rabbit, which brings light to the indoctrination of, of hate within our youth. Mm. Sorry to bother you, bringing, shining a light to the corporate greed of America. Or even I care a lot with the American healthcare system. But for this week, the film that I really want to talk about and focus on is the political satire directed by and directed and written by Adam McKay, Don't Look Up. Love so the beginning of the film does an excellent job showing you the initial perspective of the film. And boy, oh boy, it's just science, right? It, we're shown this huge facility that is like a deep, deep space telescope. It's yeah. gigantic and metallic and science is everywhere, this right? It's the most science. It's seen. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So we're kind of shown like this initial approach, right, within the scientific method that taking in data and analyzing it for what it is, both good, right, in that initial excitement of discovering this gigantic asteroid, mm -hmm. and then the catastrophe of realizing, oh shit, this thing's going to crash into planet Earth, yeah, right? They raise the stakes in this film immediately. Yeah. They don't mess it's, around. <laughs> it's, it's strong. Yeah. It's like, a, like, the inciting incident in this film is just like, oh, okay, we're going to die. Yeah. Right? Like, for sure. Yeah. Right. But I love the fact that they actually spend some time to actually just, like, get with the excitement of it. Because yeah, they, it, if you guys, if, like, when when we're filming this, uh, the NBC just came with an article about how they just released or came out with another image of a black hole. Yeah, you told me that. That's actually. huge. That's actually crazy. That's insane, well, right? We've never gotten that, right? Uh, we, we got one earlier, but this is another one. This is a, oh, okay. It takes 12 telescopes around the world just to be able to take a blurry picture of a black hole. I mean... That's insane. <laughs> like, the concept of a black hole is... Just basically nothing ever. Yeah. The point. So <laughs> pretty like, much, yeah. Yeah, so I can't, I can't imagine what the fuck that was. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, mean, I mean, pretty much, I'm just kind of like, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. I'm assuming that's a black hole. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me that it is, yeah. What is shown is that this film is uh, more than its institutions, and the further away that the data gets from its initial source of the scientific initial data, right, the more confusing and ultimately divisive the life-threatening, life-killing asteroid ultimately is. After the film reveals the asteroid is going to hit Earth, Adam McKay gives us this quote from Bob Monkhouse. He's a, a, for those who don't know, he's an English talk show host, right? He, a com comedic t talk show host, right? So Adam McKay fades in with the beginning, the beginning of the quote saying, I want to die peacefully in my sleep with my grand, like my grandfather, right? And then he fades in with the punchline, not screaming in terror like the rest of his passengers. So Fumba, let me ask you, what do you think exactly this uh, Adam McKay is saying by putting in this, this initial quote? Um, yeah, I mean, I well, was just thinking about it. I, I think it's just, it's, I wouldn't say it's the, I guess it's not quite the irony. I guess it's just the poetic nature of the film, because that's what we all kind of want, right. right? That's what everyone's looking for in, in this film, is, especially the main characters, like, we're trying, they're trying to stop this asteroid from happening, right. so that everyone can sleep soundly at night and continue living life as, as they should. Uh, none of that happens. <laughs> no. <laughs> no one gets what they want, and then everyone inadvertently ends up dead. screaming or dead like the passengers on a plane because yeah. it's about to crash. Except for the protagonists, because they did everything they could do yeah. to stop the situation, foiled by the incompetence of the people who should stop the situation. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess it is irony. I feel like yeah. on, on, on two levels, one, it showed the fact that it's, it's a quote from a comedian is one that it's it's gonna be like <clears throat> meant in a comedic manner right it's gonna be light and levity but also at the end of the day we're dealing with something very dark undertones of society right and it's gonna be a lot to swallow right it's gonna feel like an asteroid's gonna hit the planet right assume, yeah. so when this film came out i absolutely loved the subject matter where 
The world is ending, an asteroid is hurtling towards Earth in a situation in which we need our leaders to act and protect the people of the planet. And we, even more importantly, I would say, need a media source that could give us up-to-date, accurate information, right? No biases. So so basically, we need people to do their jobs. Funny! Yeah, Yeah. obviously. (laughs) (laughs) This film doesn't do any of that. Instead, it shows us an unreliable administration, a distracted media, corrupt military leadership, tech companies with alternative motives, social media, and celebrity within the world at large. Suffice it to say, this film deals with a lot of subjects. It takes aim at a lot, right? It goes goes pretty hard. Right, and uh, reviewing the responses over the vast uh, subject matter, right, this is honestly the biggest criticism for this film, right, is that it deals with so much stuff, right, that it can ultimately feel distracting. And you'll be hard-pressed to argue the opposite. But in my opinion, McKay taking aim at all these parts within society is going to show light of the failings that these parts have brought to the world, right? Because, not to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. What I I take from that is when people say that there are too many things happening or too many topics that he wants to discuss, it's all the same topic. Yeah. It's all connected. Yeah. Corruption. It's it's general corruption and a general lack of urgency. Mm. You can even look at the state of America right now. There are a myriad of things happening in-house that are going terribly. And not getting fixed. And not getting fixed. There's a a baby formula shortage, which I don't even know what the fuck that is. (laughs) It's like, how do do we run out of baby formula when we're constantly having babies? You just passed a new bill saying... You might you might not be able to get an abortion, and now we have no baby formula. But instead of it just seems like to, we're going backwards. Instead of trying to put money into the institutions to make life better for the American yeah. citizens, we're sending money elsewhere. And granted, that's a big deal. We we should be helping when we can. Right. But the thing is, we can't afford to do that. Can, now. can we help our regular citizens? <laughs> this actually this actually yeah. brings me to my next point. Right. That a lot of these characters in the film. Right. Can, are easily based off of real people. Take the military general who brings snacks to Leonardo DiCaprio's, Leonardo, Jennifer Lawrence's, and uh, Rob Morgan's characters in the film, right? He ends up char- charging them for the snacks, right? We later find out that snacks in the White House were free. For the rest of the film, anytime you see the snack or the character, it turns out to be a running gag, and it honestly, it genuinely adds some levity to the dark undertone of the film. I actually forgot about that. Right? But what if I told you this character could possibly be based on a real-life person? Who, uh, who ultimately was in charge of feeding the, the troops during the Middle East War. This guy's name is Stephen Ornstein, right? And his company is called Supreme Food Service. So since 2000, 2005, he's been responsible. Well, he was responsible for getting uh, the supplies to troops they needed in order to survive. Okay. And over the course of six years, the Defense Department paid him a whopping $5.5 billion dollars. And due to the emergency services, right, Ornstein realized that he could charge up the wazoo, charge absurd amount of money for a regular everyday meal. Now, Pumba, please, guess how much he charged? Um, I'm assuming an absurd amount, I don't know, like 500 $20,000. Oh, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, he's charging $20,000? $20,000 for, for Chef Boyardee. That's some good, that's some good Chef Boyardee. Oh my God. That's the best ingredients. That's the best ingredients. $20,000. So this character in the film is, honestly, it's it's a simple little moment where it's like snacks, but it all ultimately ties into the corruption within our actual country. And in case if you're wondering, Ornstein was ultimately brought before Congress, right? And where he was, where Congress was found to have paid an over of a hundred million dollars in simply shipping costs, right? This doesn't include any other forms of theft that the company or the man brought to the American people. But he ultimately agreed to pay $434 million in criminal penalties. Now, Fumba, to a billionaire, 
Does this seem like a lot of money? <clears throat> I mean, as, seeing as how I'm not a millionaire, I would imagine billion billionaire. He's a, he's oh. a he's a billionaire. Oh no, this is not a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, right, for for me right. for for me, I'm I'm my put me in a cell. I'm not gonna ever yeah, be able to pay I'm that. Never, all. yeah, I'm, I'm in jail forever. I'm. <laughs> I would love to have. Four hundred thirty-four million dollars. Right. That sounds nice. Like, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, but honestly, no, it doesn't. This is just a slap on the wrist, right? But for me, ultimately, what I think that McKay ultimately takes the most focus on is our media. Sure, you could argue that the politicians are the main focus, but I would argue that the people who are meant to keep the politicians in check within our society is our media, is our press institutions, right? That beyond the politics, the facts and data of, the, of a life-threatening event should take top priority and be brought to the general public. But instead, the media gets distracted by celebrity and stories that aren't really life-threatening, right? Again, this has real-world implications. Take Johnny Depp or Amber Heard or the Will Smith slap, slap gate, right? Stories like these get a lot of attention to, in comparison to the Ukrainian war, for that matter, right? One, uh, one talks of a person literally taking the shit on a person's mattress— <laughs> And the other one talks about the possibility of thermonuclear war. So, Which one do you think uh-huh. we should focus on? You know, it, you know what's kind of interesting is um, we were just talking about, I just learned about the, um, the, the shortage of baby formula. Yeah. Right? And that, that's terrible. Yeah. But then, like, before that, I also just found out that Ray J um, was forced into what they made a, apparently that sex tape that he made with Kim Kardashian was like planned and it was a staged thing really yeah but like who gives a fuck we have <laughs> we're running out of baby form see, like, see, you understand what I'm saying like see, see so I'm, 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 I'm like I'm like oh really like I, I, immediately, I, immediately, I immediately get distracted into it yeah, right it so while these things could be like distracting or even entertaining right yeah. in comparison to other world consequences like not having baby formula, right? They don't really have any merit, right? I'm sorry, it was just the fact that you were like, "Oh, wait, actually." Yeah, I'm like, oh, really? You're like, I got completely sucked into it. I was ready for the, ready for it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I fall into it. It's so easy, ladies and gentlemen. But we gotta stay vigilant. We gotta stay on top. Yeah, I, me, myself, yeah. I gotta do it. We're all susceptible. We're all susceptible to it. Absolutely, right? Uh, but honestly, this film is not a. This is not a happy film, right? This shows. This shows how the government institutions have failed. And honestly, one of the most beautiful motifs that this film does is it has these rapid cuts showing families, animals, locations, and societies all over the world. It speaks to the immovable fact that if you take away the institutions and the governments or even the borders, right, we're all just earthlings on this planet, right, trying to live lives to the fullest, right. So as screenwriters, as filmmakers, what do you guys think the role of the artist is meant to be in this situation? Mm. Do you believe that Anna McKay has brought light to our failing institutions? Or do you think this film is overly distracted with the messaging and it fails to deliver on a conclusive story? Honestly, what are your guys' thoughts? We'd love to hear it. There's not a single ca- other category of co- comedy that comes anywhere close to as dark and as grim as satire. Except black comedy. What do you mean by that? <laughs> So, Which goes to Fumba. <laughs> so yeah, the, the, my I wouldn't say it's black comedy was damn near close, but today I'll be talking about Judd Apatow's 2008 film Funny People. So the film focuses on our protagonist George Simmons, played by Adam Sandler, and Ira Wright, played by Seth Rogen. George is a retired stand-up comedian with no close ties to friends or family, 
but has found an immense financial success by making shit movies for kids. Children. He's also incredibly depressed. Awkward. <laughs> Things take a drastic turn for the worse when he's diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia and is offered an experimental drug that only has an 8% success rate. Super, super light material you got here. Now, Ira is a struggling stand-up comedian who is jealous of his friend's slash roommate's success and dreams of making it big in comedy. So, yeah, what are your thoughts? I mean, certainly the lightest of material. pretty, pretty... Oh, oh yeah i, I mean yeah. I, I really think anytime you bring in like leukemia it's, into, it's always a good time oh my yeah. goodness you know funny you know yeah it's, it's yeah i think i think right there you kind of sets up your like dark undertone <laughs> of the film yeah no it's, it's 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 certainly bleak here's the thing about this film that i find fascinating as a film focusing on stand-up comedians i have hardly laughed at this film like this, right. this is the most unfunny comedy i've seen in a very fucking long time like, George is presented as a shell of his former self and then is punished further by getting leukemia. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, the comedy does come in, though, when we are introduced with Ira's character and right. just how na- naive and stupid he is, right? <laughs> Plus, side note, I have, like, a weird love-hate relationship with the improvisational dialogue right. that yeah. Judd introduces. It's very loose. It's super loose. Yeah. I, it's just... It's it works. It does Some, sometimes. Sometimes it, it just when it just it's great for believable dialogue, just because it, it does feel like two friends just ripping because that's exactly what it is. But then right. you realize like there's no script at this point, and then they just keep doing it. Yeah, it, it it just like it just gets really stupid. Yeah, the gag is becomes more important than the than the plot or the film itself. <laughs> it's it's like a five minute gag. Like why is like, I don't know what this has to do with anything. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah. So that's the film in a nutshell. There's two comedians from opposite ends of the spectrum, one searching for success in his career, the other was beaten down by his career. And the two learning to empathize with each other. Again, I I believe a, a comedian opens the floor for empathy. Hmm. But only when we understand their perspective. Now, now, there's a scene in this film where George goes to an open mic and just bombs. And, you know, us as voyeurs, if hmm. you saw after one. Episode one, are you uh, watching? Uh, <laughs> like, comment, and subscribe, you know? <laughs> Check it out. Sign up for our Patreon. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> this is great, it's great, it's great stuff there. His perspective is shut off from the audience, leaving them confused. They do, however, see the perspective of Ira, who shits on George for his entire set, gaining the audience's attention and empathy. Not I mean, only... rightfully so. Yeah, no, yeah, it makes sense. If you bomb, yeah, you, you're gonna be. I mean, especially for comedians, they're gonna yeah. make fun of you. No, I mean it's, it's part of the job. Like, it's you part of the culture. You can't bomb. You can bomb. It's expected that you do, but you also should expect for someone to tell you that you suck. Yeah, it's also kind of like low hanging fruit, especially if a guy like yeah. just really. Yeah, it's it's kind of frowned upon. Yeah, I, I mean. It's, Sure. Well, I, that, I feel like they still do it. Oh, yeah, because he... Got, <laughs> how else will you learn? <laughs> <laughs> Just like, You're going to learn today. Don't suck today. <laughs> you know? But um, it, it, it's just... It's interesting to me because not only do the audience members see his perspective, but so does George. And again, like you said, um, right. as, as a veteran comedian, he understands the assignment. Of, right. like, I fucking bombed. That sucks. You ripped on me. But also, you were actually funny, and I get why you did it. So I'm gonna give you a job. And right. That's how they meet. Now, do you understand what I'm trying to get at with with this? Like, basically, I'm saying that comedy is a dance between perspective and empathy. Right. See what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 I feel. I feel like that's. 
the most important thing. Like comedy is going to be dealing with some dark ass material. Sometimes you're going to be talking about stuff that's taboo and controversial within society, right? Yeah, but 100%. if it's done properly and tastefully, then you might see a perspective that you hadn't seen before, and yeah. that that can open your eyes to something new. Yeah, it'll, it'll and bring about empathy. So, Ira, if you haven't picked up on it yet, is a selfish prick who will do whatever it he needs to do in order to get ahead in life. And George hmm. is a lonely, selfish prick who pushed everyone away and only cares about himself to a certain extent. Right. Now, both characters are desperately looking for the same thing, and that's to be understood. Right. Comedy, to me, is best utilized by those who often felt misunderstood, and therefore it's a vehicle used to drive a person's point of view home to the audience. The more these two miserable people get to know each other and gain perspective, the more they can empathize and inadvertently tell better jokes. Right. And I find this to be very poignant for society today. Most people nowadays listen, but you only listen to build an argument right. rather than listening for enlightenment and understanding. Confirmation bias. Exactly. Like we, we can't compromise on anything because our patience for... Empathy has been severely diminished. I mean, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, I don't know if you've been watching the news lately, but aside from Amber Heard shitting on uh, Johnny Depp's bed, there's some pretty dark shit that's going on in the world today. I keep thinking about Amber Heard shitting on that man's bed. I mean, come like I like he was like, I know my dog's feces. That was not my dog's feces. That was not my dog's feces. (laughs) Be empathetic for the terrible things that are happening. You know, that's just that's just being a human. Like we're supposed yeah, to absolutely sympathize and empathize with the terrible things that are happening and for the people who are going through misfortune. It's just unfortunate that it's happening so frequently. I feel like comedy does a really good job of like by make me making a joke about it, like with with any like myriad of dark su- subject materials, they have the ability to to make make a joke about it, bring light to it and allow society to potentially move on from this really tragic events that, that potentially have transpired yeah. or have, have transpired, right? Yeah. Look at any like any number of comedians, right? Some of the best ones are the ones that are able to harness the tragedy of the day and able to allow a society to move to on, yeah. to laugh, to move on, to yeah. to like continue to live their life, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's one of the beautiful things about comedy. Yeah. Personally, I think empathy doesn't equate to forgiveness, but it does give context. Right. right? And... I feel like it has to, if forgiveness is even an option, it has to start with empathy. Yeah. You have to know what's going on, or at least try to. And I, I fear that we're turning into a society that only em- empathizes when it's convenient. Mm. But that's literally when it's the least potent. Yeah, when it's just com- confirming you're already, you're, you're biased, you're, so you're already you know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, he, he's on my my beliefs so yeah, yeah. I, I empathize with you it was like what the fuck yeah what is like what <laughs> like, would you say would be the, the in, in, right now would be like a, an example of like empathizing with something that is inconvenient like that was a lot going on but let, let's just let's just for right now let's talk about <laughs> politics right sure I, I think it's mad inconvenient to empathize with anyone in the far right because like they hate me Right. <laughs> that would be just like, as a, as a being, Yeah, it's very inconvenient for me. Right. But also, you know, I, I do understand what it feels like to be part of the disenfranchised. Yeah. I do understand what it feels like to not be heard or appreciated within society. Yeah. That's um, one of the things I liked, I loved about, like, like, the, the, like going back to it, like, there are films that are going to give you perspectives on things, like, 
Yeah. The indoctrination of, of our hate within the youth, right? Yeah. That hate is not something that you're born with. It's something that you're taught, right, by people, right? That mm -hmm. children, they're not hateful creatures or hateful beings, right? Yeah. It's adults that, that indoctrinate them with those hate, those prejudices. Yeah, no, it's, it's a learned thing. Yeah. It's a learned behavior in terms of hate. Yeah. Kids, kids have the capacity to be motherfuckers. L little, little shit. <laughs> little shits. Yeah, they're like little miniature al alcoholics, right? They just <laughs> will say anything that they want. I mean, they're, they're literally... Game Road yeah. Let's bring it back yeah. to uh, the movie. So, George is a man that everybody loves, but no one understands, right? Only one person knows of his illness, Ira, and he feels and fears that when he goes away, eventually passes, no one's going to feel remorseful, right? No one's going to miss him. And it's only until Ira cries, which is actually one of the only funny moments in it, because just seeing one grown-ass man cry. That's what finally got him to admit to people about his condition, and right. he gets what he wants. You know, he, he, he starts to reconnect with his family, he starts to reconnect with his friends, or, like, to find out he has friends, like, real friends. Yeah. Um, he finally... He finally reconnects and buries the hatchet with his former flame, that he always wanted to reconnect with, he gets what he wants. And then he doesn't die. Plot twist. Turns out he's actually of the 8% that survives the experimental drug. I mean, hey, I am mad about it. And he's pissed. <laughs> <laughs> he's mad as fuck. He doesn't like it. Because, again, this is a man who thought no one's, no one's going to be there for him. Yeah. And it turns out everyone's there for him. Yeah. And it turns out... He's not dying. So it's like, are they still going to be there for me? It's, it's actually a really sad mentality, but it's something that I feel like most people relate to, where it's like, yeah, you were here for this thing, but once this thing is over, do you actually give a shit? How do you live your life without a reason for someone to empathize with you? Mm. Right? Like, you don't have this thing, this this disease, this this reason for someone to feel for you and understand you. Yeah. I feel I feel like if you say like, "Hey, I'm dying," there's a lot of sympathy that comes with that, you know. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people want to empathize and they want to be like, "I'll be there for you. You're dying. I'm gonna walk, be there for right. you at the end." Right. And then you just don't die. And then you don't die. But that I think that goes comes back to George. You got to put that on George. You know that it's yeah. you know no, it is, it, he's gonna live. And so now you have the option to live, right? You know that there are people out there that love you and care about you. So yeah. what are you gonna do with that? Are you gonna just be stay stay the same lonely yeah. asshole that you were before, that, or are you gonna change to something new? At the end of the day, though, we all live in this planet. Yeah. You no, know, everyone at a certain point wants kumbaya. To be <laughs> Kumbaya, my lord. <laughs> Which is, like, to be understood is not the same as being accepted, you right. know? But we still need to try to be more open-minded and empathetic mm. with those who deserve it in order for for people to empathize with us. Yeah. You know, it's a give-and-take scenario. Absolutely. So I, I, I didn't write this, I didn't write this out, but I, um, I saw the, the Kendrick Lamar Meets video. If you're if you're familiar, Kendrick Lamar just released a single. I don't, I don't know if it's for its album yet, but it's it's a new single called "The Heart Part 5, and the entire thing is so poignant. I had to put it in. I'm still trying to decipher what this what if there is like a main thing. It seems like it's talking about a lot, but yeah. um, essentially he's talking about the culture of of hip-hop, the culture of the game, of gangster life, and just the the culture of black people. 
and how problematic it can be, right? right? That it fosters these institutionalized ideas that are a detriment to us, mm. but we're willing to give it all, like our entire being for it, right? Because that's all we that's all we know. And throughout that, he's talking through the to the lens of all these different problematic yeah. and someone somewhat, and then some prolific black people. Like he talks through um, O.J. Simpson, talks through Jesse Smollett. Which I don't know if you're familiar Juicy with. Smoulier? Juicy Smoulier? Juicy <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's how I say it, yeah. And, you know, recently, Will Smith. Huh? And um, it, 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 just, it just, it hit me specifically, just because I've never seen, I, I've, I've, we've, we've talked about this several times as black people, but I've never seen it um, framed in such a way where right. it's such a scathing skating uh, critique of our culture um, of black culture specifically yeah mm. um, the, the reason why I'm, I'm bringing it up is that he he basically stated at a point where he acts as Nipsey Hussle and he's talking from the perspective of the man who took his life mm. right, he's talking he's talking to him and saying I under, like I see what why you did it or what happened I forgive you but know your soul is in, in question right Ooh. And that is something really powerful about that. And I feel like that that's basically what I'm trying to get at, right? Where there are people that we're going to hate in this world. And there are people we're just not going to get along with. But empathy doesn't mean that we have to like you. I don't need to, I don't need to like you to empathize with you. I, yeah. I just need to see where you're coming from. Looking at the other side of the coin. Yeah. I think it, that, that like a, that one of the most poignant examples of this that i can think of right now is you know the hate of of russo fear within this country right now like if you're russian in the united states right now you're not doing too oh, no one likes well you. nobody <laughs> no one likes you, likes you. i think yeah. it calmed down a little bit ever since will smith kind of like slapped everyone's attention away from the ukrainian war i guess that's also like again a good a good distraction of like maybe mm-hmm. we don't hate you as much yeah, but yeah. like, I, like even for the Russians, Russian people themselves, like, they, like we're especially as Americans, we're always told like these are your enemies, we must seek out and destroy them. <gasps> Please don't cut that one little bit. <laughs> no, but I feel like we're honestly like given this perspective of like, hey, these are these people, they're our enemies, we must hate them, we must destroy them at all means cost. But at the end of the day, we're, they're just human beings on a planet, flying thousands of miles per hour. Through space and time. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, like yeah. at the end of the day, we're all just earthlings on an earth, yeah. on a planet, right? And somehow we're all alive, right? It does, like, you need to find, we need to find a way in order to be empathetic to even, like, the people who are allegedly supposed to be our enemies. For, yeah. For, in this particular example, the Russians. Not to say that there haven't been atrocities that the Russian government has done upon the, the Ukrainian people, because they have. They have. But... Does is that every Russian citizen within that country? No, I think that's just the thing about empathy, where it's like you open the door for perspective, and you might get a welcome change. Yeah, right. But yeah, I think it's a good point to possibly end the podcast. Um, so, what do you guys think? Like, as far as like artists, as stand-up comedians, right? What do you think the job of comedy is? Do you feel like it is something that? you know, is meant to bring perspective to something new to, to the general public? Or do you think it's meant to be just for laughs and giggles? Yeah. Also, do you find it generally harder to empathize with people nowadays? Do you do you think that it's more required for us to empathize? Do you think it's necessary at all? Yeah. Just 
we really want to find out what you guys had to think and uh, so leave a, a comment down below and yeah. uh, honestly stay hungry stay active you know Cheers. have a good day <laughs>